0: You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 1 through 3, equitable but not excessive corporal punishment. Moses is continuing his reiteration of various laws before his death. These are directed to the people more than the priests. The first one in this chapter deals with punishments for crimes. When people have a dispute, they are to take it to court and the judges will decide the case, acquitting the innocent and condemning the guilty. If the guilty person deserves to be beaten, the judge shall make them lie down and have them flogged in his presence with the number of lashes the crime deserves. But the judge must not impose more than 40 lashes. If the guilty party is flogged more than that, your fellow Israelite will be degraded in your eyes. So there was a legal system separate from the priesthood which decided on religious matters. These judges would make decisions regarding guilt or innocence. If there was to be corporal punishment as the penalty, then it was to be carried out in front of the judge who ordered it. The number of lashes would be determined by the judge, but the maximum stated here is 40 lashes. Any more would be seen as excessive and degrading to the guilty party. Later, it was limited to 39 lashes, so as not to accidentally overstep the bounds. It should also be noted that it was meant for correction, not to elicit a confession, so torture is not in view here. Verse 4, Care of Animals Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. On the surface, this is just common sense. While an animal is working, going in circles to crush the grain, they were not to prevent it from eating as it did so. So this was equivalent to keeping gas in your lawnmower. It needed to keep up its strength in order to work properly. Proverbs 1210 a says, The righteous care for the needs of their animals. But beyond the basic care of animals is the idea that a worker must be allowed to enjoy the fruit of his own labor, a point picked up and expanded in the New Testament. Verses 5-10 to The Law of Leveret Marriage Because the Old Covenant promises were tied into the land allotted to each tribe, and the importance of maintaining a genealogy, they could not allow a man's name or family line to die out. So the solution during that time was called the Leveret Law, from the word for husband's brother. It says, if brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to her. The first son she bears shall carry on the name of the dead brother, so that his name will not be blotted out from Israel. In such cases, brothers shared the same land area already, but there was no heir from the first marriage. He would have to be unmarried and willing to do this kindness for his late brother. It was not compulsory. Therefore, there was an official ceremony in place where he would renounce his duty. This would be initiated by the widow who was rejected. However, if a man does not want to marry his brother's wife, she shall go to the elders at the town gate and say, My husband's brother refuses to carry on his brother's name in Israel. He will not fulfill the duty of a brother-in-law to me. Then the elders of the town shall summon him and talk to him. If he persists in saying, I do not want to marry her, his brother's widow shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, take off one of his sandals, spit in his face, and say, This is what is done to the man who will not build up his brother's family line. That man's line shall be known in Israel as the family of the unsandaled. So it should probably be read as if brothers are living together and one of them dies without a child rather than son. Since Numbers 27, 1 to 11 allowed for daughters to inherit if there were no sons in a family. So an example of this in practice in Israel is found in the book of Ruth chapter 4. The property of her dead husband was to be redeemed or purchased back. Included in this deal was Ruth as a wife, since she and her late husband had no children in the ten years they were married. The nearest relative liked the idea of getting the land, but did not want a wife, so Boaz stepped up since he was next in line. This exchange was done at the town gate, where all business was transacted. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there, just as the guardian-redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian-redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought... I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, In order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself, I cannot do it. Now in earlier times in Israel for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property the offspring the lord gives you by this young woman may your family be like that of perez whom tamar bore to judah so the only difference in this case was no one spat in his face such a thing was seen as a disgrace see numbers twelve fourteen. he only had to remove his sandal i like to remember it this way to be sandal less is scandalous i suppose he had to hop home on one foot And the wonderful thing about the story of Ruth is that the blessing they bestow on Ruth comes true, since she is the great-grandmother of King David. Verses 11-16, to Miscellaneous Laws If two men are fighting, and the wife of one of them comes to rescue her husband from his assailant, and she reaches out and seizes him by his private parts, you shall cut off her hand, show her no pity. So this is the only example of mutilation in the Pentateuch for this immodest act. And again, we don't know if such an instance ever occurred. Do not have two differing weights in your bag, one heavy, one light. Do not have two differing measures in your house, one large, one small. You must have accurate and honest weights and measures, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. For the Lord your God detests anyone who does these things, anyone who deals dishonestly. So this is an admonition to honest business practices, discouraging cheating one another. It is also another example of a situation where God says he hates or detests anyone who does these dishonest things, rather than just condemning the sin itself. Verses 17-19 to destroy the Amalekites. Finally, they are told, remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt. When you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. When the Lord your God gives you rest from all the enemies around you in the land he is giving you to possess as an inheritance, you shall blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Do not forget. So, Amalek was a grandson of Esau. So, the animosity and hostility prophesied between the nations founded by Jacob and Esau was still ongoing. They are still on their journey to the Promised Land, about to enter and fight many enemies. This generation would still remember the Amalekites who picked off the stragglers who couldn't keep up with the larger group. This was recorded. In Exodus seventeen eight to sixteen God did not look favorably on them for this, so he would ensure that justice was done through his people. He planned to wipe them out completely. This would not be done until the time of David, recorded in first Samuel thirty, because Saul had failed to do it when commanded. However, some descendants of the four 400- hundred 400 who fled that battle became the descendants of um, Agag or Agagites. So during the time set in the book of Esther while they were in exile their mortal enemy was Haman the Agagite while Mordecai was a Benjamite who was a relative of King Saul. So the conflict carried on all those generations later as God had said. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Scarlet Threads So what scarlet threads or hints of Jesus Christ or application to the gospel do we find in this chapter? For corporal punishment of a crime, the maximum number of lashes could not exceed 40. Later on, in order to avoid exceeding the number 40 by miscounting, they would err on the side of leniency and stop at 39 lashes. We see this with the Apostle Paul, who says, Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. So they were not to muzzle an ox as it treads out the grain. Paul uses it to explain that it is not just about animal welfare, but teaches that preachers should be free from working at secular jobs so they can focus on the gospel. Therefore, they should be paid by the congregation. He also uses the example of priests who eat the food offered in sacrifice. This is part of their job. He says, This is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? Do I say this merely on human authority? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because whoever plows and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. And he uses it again in the pastoral epistles. The elders who direct the affairs of the church, well, are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. The Leveret Law maintained property within tribes and family lines to continue. Because this was followed by Ruth and Boaz, she is the ancestor of King David, but her greatest honor is that she is listed in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. In Mark 12, 18-27, Jesus was asked a theological question because the Sadducees wanted to discredit him as a soul, as a teacher. So they presented him this unlikely scenario. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. So this was a reference to this Leveret Law in Deuteronomy 25 to preserve family and tribal names and inheritances. The Sadducees appealed only to those scriptures written by Moses. They also knew Jesus had a high regard for scripture and would not likely contest anything said by Moses. Now, there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died leaving no child. It was the same with the third in fact none of the seven left any children last of all the woman died too at the resurrection whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her by presenting such a scenario they were trying to make Jesus belief in the resurrection appear foolish Jesus replied are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God When the dead rise, they will neither um, marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. They were ignorant of scripture and God's ability to miraculously raise the dead. Marriage was designed for this age alone, for companionship and procreation, to populate the earth. Like Jesus' glorified post-resurrection body, he was still recognizable as a man. In heaven, we will maintain our maleness or femaleness, but our relationships will not be sexual, but spiritual. We will be like angels in the sense that they are spiritual beings who will not die. Since they don't reproduce, they have no need of marriage. Here, Jesus exposed another error, their lack of belief in angels. Moses reminded them to maintain honest business practices. There are many scriptures about this. We are to be faithful stewards of the things entrusted to us. During this time of conquest they had physical enemies they were to defeat. We no longer deal with sinners in that way since our enemies are now spiritual. We are part of the army of God, armed with the armor of God, fighting the good fight of faith through many tribulations until the day when we rest from our labors and receive our reward and return victorious with Jesus Christ. You've been listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Deuteronomy chapter 26. May God bless the study of his word.